studio recording of Judges 14. The last time we saw the start of Samson's life, chapter 13, through his parents encountering the angel of the Lord. And today we're going to see the start of Samson's adult life. I just want to recapture two verses in chapter 13 first. 24 and 25, it says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. So in the original Hebrew writings, there was no chapter divisions. They came probably the 3rd or 4th century A.D., but it, what's interesting is where the chapter inserters decided to make the break. We see that Samson's life started well in chapter 13. He had good parents, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit moved upon him. And then, well, let's continue. Chapter 14, starting with verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, if, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. So we start to see Samson's character being built as an adult. Well, the first thing we notice is that according to Deuteronomy 7.3, when you came into the land, the children of Israel came into the land of their enemies, they weren't supposed to be uh, mixing with them. They weren't certainly supposed to be uh, taking wives with their daughters. So Samson was hanging around really in the wrong places for him to see this woman uh, and see her enough that she, you know, he wanted to marry her. And certainly he was causing his parents to violate the same uh, law in Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 3. Now you could say maybe this was a type of Romeo and Juliet kind of thing where they're on opposite sides of the tracks. But not really, because you get the impression that based on what he says, that she pleased him uh, as far as it was a fleshly type of attraction. So you see the struggle between good godly parents and their fleshly son here. Verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Samson made an unlawful choice, but God used it for his glory. If you really think about it, and you look at the other judges, Samson should have at least been seeking the Lord, and we don't see that in the scripture, on how to defeat the Philistines, or at least in some way gathering with the elders or the other tribes and gathering forces. Uh, to fight God's enemies, the children of Israel. Instead, he goes through life pretty much aimlessly, and I'm sure, correct me if I'm wrong, that he was the only judge supposed to be fighting Israel's enemies, and instead he takes the enemy as a wife. But we see that God used his selfish behavior to God's goal. And sometimes in our life we can see the same thing. Uh, we do foolish things, but God's will will still be done in our lives. Now, that's also not a reason to try to thwart God because he will use it for good. And I think the Apostle Paul really sums that up in Romans, starting in 5.20 and going into chapter 6. The Apostle Paul says this, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? 
Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore, he tore, I'm sorry, I'm going to start with verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart, as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Samson has this superhuman strength at his disposal, and we'll see that his power ends up unfortunately corrupting him, as we know that absolute power does corrupt absolutely. He does this, and he allows it to corrupt him instead of glorifying God with the power that he has. Now, we we notice a few things here. Number one, according to number six, the rules for a Nazarite, which Samson was a Nazarite, uh, he probably shouldn't be in a vineyard since he wasn't supposed to partake of any great products. So we see so far that Samson is hanging out with the Philistines, tries to marry a Philistine. He finds himself in a vineyard. And the next we'll see that he eats from a dead body, also in violation of number six. And Samson's really a good picture of the double-minded. James says in the New Testament that the, un- the double-minded is unstable in all their ways. They part want to be with God, and they part want to be with the world. And this is a good lesson for Christians because it won't be long before you too are sucked in if you continue in this type of behavior. And I think 2 Peter 18-22 through 22 aptly um, speaks about this. Second thing is we, st- we see that God still allowed him to kill the lion. And what we notice is that God shows a lot of grace and he's not done with Samson. We often mistake the fact, many of us do, that if we're not punished immediately for our sins, we think that spiritually we're doing fine. But that's not the case, as we'll see. Verse 7. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Samson defiles himself now with a dead body, as we spoke about before, in violation of the Nazarite vow. But you notice that he doesn't tell his parents where he came from. I think he knew that his parents were good, godly people, and he knew he was going in the wrong direction, and probably he was trying to avoid friction. You know, I wonder, a good application today is how many kids of Christian parents don't tell their parents, especially teenagers, they do worldly things. They may be going to church, may be going to Christian schools, and they're involved in what the world's involved with, and they keep this stuff from their parents. That's a pretty good um, thing, a lesson for us to learn, to uh, always be in prayer for our kids and to certainly lead by example at, at home.
and leave the rest up to God. Verse 10. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. And it was so, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you cannot, cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. In ancient culture, without our modern technological entertainment, riddles were popular. They had to find something to do with their time. And uh, I wouldn't say by coincidence, but um, a friend of mine lent me some CDs, and uh, I, was, I got to see some different opinions uh, of what other men of God, Bible teachers, you know, spoke about or thought about Samson. Wearsby points out that Samson made a joke out of his sin. Don McClure said that Samson really took nothing serious. Life was a big joke. And you see that constant uh, theme. And I would add that he had no reverence as a result of his life being too easy. And at times I think we need to, again, use these examples to think about where our kids are going and how we're leading our children. You know, my generation, my parents' generation, and my grandparents uh, worked very hard for what they had. And they worked even harder that when they had their kids and their grandkids, they saved for them and try to make life easier. But you notice that the greatest generation, the World War II generation, were a great generation because they struggled, because they had difficulties in life. And it really built their character. And now we have a generation that um, maybe things are a little bit too easy. And you see the character starts to drop. You can see an inverse relationship there. If you look at Solomon and you look at Samson, King Solomon had all the wealth. He had anything that he said his eyes desired was his. And Samson, in a similar sense, nobody could oppose him. They could have anything they wanted. Absolute power again, that theme comes up. Verse 15. So it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? Now she wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not solved my riddle. So we see that the Philistines are a rough bunch. They're basically saying, Tell us, you better find out from your husband what the story is, or we're going to burn you and your father's house with you in it. Now, in the seven-day feast, uh, we covered this on Sunday with the, um, the marriage supper of the Lamb. In those, in those days, uh, it was very common to have a very long wedding feast, seven days. And on the seventh day, the groom and the bride would go together physically and consummate the marriage. So I find it humorous in verse 17, especially to the married guys, that she's uh, basically crying <laughs> the whole seven days, which I'm sure was a, was a big damper. And eventually she wore him down. 
and probably said, okay, okay, I'll tell you. So he tells her. Now the Philistines are supposed to be the wedding guests. But with friends like that, who needs enemies? They couldn't figure out the riddle. Instead of giving him an extra gift for his wedding, they wanted to kill his wife. They had no loyalty to Samson, but he hung around with them anyway. His Philistine wife also betrayed him to save her own skin. And I wonder if we could take a look at introspective look at our own relationships. Are they edifying? Why do we hang around with the people we hang around with? You ever have that strange friendship where your friend is more like an enemy? I had a friend uh, when I was young. I was in my teens. I wasn't saved. And he was a good guy to hang out with. He was a little bit older than me, and we used to talk about a lot of stuff. But when he had too much to drink, he became irate, and he started literally picking physical fights with his friends. I could think of two occasions where me and him got into it because he pretty much attacked me, so we got into fist fights. Uh, again, I wasn't saved back then. I, didn't, I wasn't wise in picking my, uh, my friends. But, you know, I wondered sometimes, why am I friends with this guy? Yeah, it's kind of neat to talk to him at times, but, you know, he gave me a few lumps when the guy had too much to drink. So I think it's something that we need to look at, reevaluate our friendships, reevaluate our relationships, because one day, if we're not careful, they may burn us. Verse 18, this is, uh, if you're a chess player, this is a checkmate, or so the Philistines thought. They knew they were going to get their garments because they figured out the riddle. And Samson obviously knew that they got the answer from his wife. And the little thing that he says about, uh, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Heifers don't plow, bulls do. So he was certainly calling them on their cheating to get the answers. He was going to give them their, uh, their changes of, of their garments, but he certainly was going to let them know that he knew that they cheated. But here's a guy who lives a life of constant double-mindedness. My will, God's will. My will, God's will. And unfortunately, the only, the only reason it was God's will is because God sought an occasion through Samson's will to attack the Philistines, um, mixing with sin constantly and ultimately being influenced by it as we go further along in the story. He's certainly mired in the morass of unholy alliances. And as Christians, we need to look at that too. We need to look at our alliances and why we have the ties that we have and where we hang out in the places that we hang out. Uh, again, a certain, certainly an introspective look. Verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. So the Philistines were playing dirty, and Samson is going to play dirty too. He goes to another uh, Philistine stronghold, Ashkelon, and he kills 30 of the Philistines, takes their garments, and gives it to the men that he owes the bet to. Again, instead of fighting the Philistines to defeat and avenge Israel, he really only fights to avenge his own, own personal injustices. And you may say, but the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. Unfortunately, God had to use Samson in an unideal situation to defeat the Philistines. But notice this, as he did with every other person he used in the Bible. Of course, except for Jesus. Most digress from God's plan in one way or another, but Samson was probably one of the worst of them. Samson made war when it suited his own needs. But really, if you look at Moses, Moses didn't have a good start. Moses didn't want to go and talk to the people. Moses, you know, God gave him Aaron and he still hemmed and hawed. Um, you look at a lot of these these. Uh, figures in the Bible, even David, a man after God's own heart, was somebody who, you know, if you want to talk about some of the biggest sins, he committed them. So 
God allowed them to make their choices, but his will would still be done. You see this whole balance between sovereignty and free will. If you, if you go hard and you push hard on the sovereignty end of the debate, you run into problems because then you have to believe that God wanted Samson to sin and he authored that sin so he could use him. And really those who uh, fall hard on the reform side, if you, if you really follow their doctrine, they'll tell you that God is the author of evil. And certainly that's a problem with the scripture. We also find Samson has no accountability. He doesn't seek the Lord, and he thinks he has everything under control. And what we find is that he starts on the line of seeing sin, and then he crosses the line to immersing with sin, and then he finds himself fully immersed in sin. But he still thinks he has it under control because he has his strength. Okay, now... Again, some may point the fingers at Samson and some of these biblical characters and um, almost in a condescending way. And maybe I used to do that, but the longer I live my life, the more I realize that I'm glad that God has mercy on me too. Because, you know, all of us mess up in some way, and he doesn't just wash his hands of us. So it's really um, a dangerous position to be in where we look at Samson and, and Moses and some of these characters and say, you know, God was right there, and he opened up the Red Sea, and, and these people still rebelled. But you know what? We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, so we really have no excuse either. But God does give us enough rope to either repent or really to hang ourselves with, um, and that will be by our own doing. Unfortunately, we'll see with Samson that it only gets to the end of his life, his tragic end, that he really, um, really calls on God to destroy the Philistines, and we'll talk about that when we get there. Last verse, verse 20. And Samson, Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. The icing on the cake. Philistines betray him. Wife betrays him. His friend, his best man, betrays him. And his father-in-law betrays him. Because really, the betrothal period in those days was, um, is, was really marriage. Uh, when you're betrothed to another person, it sort of was like our engagement, but it was binding legally. Okay, There was no uh, sexual contact. It was a, a time of separation in that respect, but you were considered married uh, in the eyes of the community, and uh, if you left that relationship, it was like breaking a contract. So the father breaks the contract to give the best man to Samson's betrothed wife, but the best man obviously uh, willingly goes for it. You see, Samson certainly would have been better off finding good and godly friends and relationships, which it didn't appear that he did. Um, if you look at fleshly and carnal relationships, um, I mean, I, I may have heard this expression. I might, I might have even used this expression. Hey, wake up. They're not your friends. <laughs> but sometimes it takes a while to let it sink in. Um, Samson is a picture of the unbridled flesh and the carnal believer. And again, that's a dangerous tightrope to walk. Uh, I'm sure every Christian has been put in a position where they're walking that tightrope. They want what the Lord has to offer but they also want to live a carnal and fleshly life. And it's very, very difficult. I find that actually it's easier to jump on one side or the other. And Jesus told us when he walked the earth to make a decision. You know, you can't serve two masters. You can only serve one. Samson's name meant sunny or brightness. And it's a shame that he didn't live up to his name. But we too have a name, and our name is Christian, follower of Christ, one that is a little Christ, so to speak, a little believer, you know, a little... Somebody following Jesus as a little kid follows their parents. And my question is, do we live up to that name? Let's pray.